Hi everyone. I'm Daniel. Uh, welcome to Cross Cultures, especially if this is your first time here. Uh, like to extend, especially warm welcome. Uh, we've we've been sitting down for a little while, so why don't we all stand up and shake, um, do a bit of a turn, turn around, say hi to the person next to you, and then sit down. Um, I'm about to start. If uh, We've got a couple of scripts of the whole talk, a full manuscript. So if, if English is your second language or you'd like a particular script to follow along, um, please put your hand up and I'll hand one out. I know some people already have them. Yeah? Can you pass that back, please? Okay. Great. Um, as Candice mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel today. Uh, we've been looking at 1 Samuel, uh, and that's what we've done in the first half of the trimester. And this, this half of the trimester, we're going to start looking at 2 Samuel. And so, um, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to make you work hard today. I want to ask you questions, and I want you guys to respond. I want to make sure that you guys are awake and listening. But also, I want you to check to make sure that what I'm saying is true, and what I'm saying is in the Bible itself. Uh, so how about I pray, and then um, we'll get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to study your word together today. Um, please help me to speak your words and your words alone, and help us to sit under your word and to trust it uh, and to respond rightly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so my first question to you is, uh, what can you remember from 1 Samuel? What were some of the things that we've learned from 1 Samuel? I'm happy for you guys just to shout anything out. Yep. 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 Thanks. So Israel wanted a king and they requested a king despite God's warnings. Yep. Samuel's mother. Samuel's mother. Yeah, so she uh, she prayed and, and she um, she was barren at first, but then God answered her prayers and, and gave birth to Samuel. Yep. Anything else? Sorry? Goliath? Goliath. What happened with Goliath? David and Goliath? Okay, so that was our last talk. That's actually quite helpful. Thanks for the segue. Uh, David and Goliath, in, that last, in our last talk on 1 Samuel, uh, we saw... Uh, David fighting Goliath. Now, David uh, is not the king. Saul was the king. Eremide mentioned that um, Israel asked for a king, and the king they got given was, or the king that they wanted was Saul. Um, and he was supposed to lead them out into battle. Saul was supposed to be the one who fought the battles and be the king like other nations. But when Goliath came, he was scared, and instead David was the one who went out and fought Goliath. And so David, as good leaders do, stood in front of his people and protected them from the danger and the enemy um, with God's strength and God's, um, God's, yeah, with God's strength. And so um, we're starting 2 Samuel this week, and unfortunately we've missed a whole bunch of 1 Samuel. Uh, we've missed um, actually a whole 14 chapters, I think. 
Um, and that's really sad because there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, but I was thinking a bit about this and um, I don't know, I, I watch some TV shows. I hope, I, I assume a lot of you do too. Um, and when you watch TV shows, um, there, there are episodes and, and TV shows are ma made up of episodes and episodes make up seasons and then seasons make up whole TV series. And one of the things that happens um, is at the end of each season, there's usually um, some closure. Perhaps um, the people get married um, and, and finally the wedding happens. Um, but then there's, there's often also a cliffhanger. Maybe she's pregnant as well. Dun, 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 what's going to happen next? Uh, and so... Um, as, as, you th as we think about TV shows, there's some closure and then there's also a cliffhanger at the end of seasons. Now, I think that's helpful for us as we think about 1 and 2 Samuel, because in some ways, 1 and 2 Samuel are like um, two different seasons of the same TV series. At the end of 1 Samuel, some things happen, and at the start of 2 Samuel, some other things um, happen. There's some continuity and some discontinuity. Now... Um, Every time I watch TV shows um, where they start and finish, they often um, start off with a line that says, previously, in the last episode, blah, 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 blah. And I think that's actually what 2 Samuel does as it starts off. I think the first line that it sort of begins with is, previously, in season one of Samuel, this happened. And so I want us to look at that and to note that, okay? So 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. So in case you missed it, what, what the narrator is saying, because I do think we did miss it because we skipped a whole bunch of chapters, uh, there are two things that he wants, us to point out, uh, he wants to point out to us. Firstly, the first thing he wants to point out is that Saul is dead. King Saul is dead. And if we think about 1 Samuel... Remember we thought uh, we, we remember that 1 Samuel was all about the search for a king and, and the Israelites got King Saul. Well, all of a sudden now that king, King Saul, is dead. When we left Saul, at, um, when, when, we, when we were looking at David and Goliath, we saw that Saul was leaving, um, leaving the battle to be fought by someone else. And that was just part of his downfall. Um, Saul... At the end of 1 Samuel, hits rock bottom. And at the, at the very end of 1 Samuel, what we see is um, Saul actually dies. And actually, I think this is quite a significant thing, so I want us to read it together. It's going to come up, come up on the screen, or if you want to follow in your own Bibles, we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 31, uh, the first six verses, and I'll read it out to you. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But, his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. 
pretty bleak, it's pretty sad. And if we remember the recap, the first thing that 2 Samuel 1, 1 says is, previously in season 1, Saul died. Now the second thing that, that the narrator points out is um, a second strand, that, there, that is the rise of David. Um, David isn't quite king yet, but it's sure looking like he might be king. Because you see what it says is, David struck down the Amalekites. Now, what does that mean? Why is that significant? Why, why do we care that David struck down the Amalekites? Of all the things you could summarize from 1 Samuel, why do you need to say David struck down the Amalekites? Well, the Amalekites, they were kind of like Saul's kryptonite. They were kind of like uh, the people who, who were the, the catalyst to Saul's downfall. Um, I can take you back quickly to 1 Samuel chapter 15. What happens is God instructs Saul to kill the Amalekites. And God says, now, Saul, go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put them to death, men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And so Saul has been instructed by God to kill all the Amalekites. But instead, what happens? Saul took King um, Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he took... And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. And so Saul, Saul is supposed to kill everything, but he doesn't. And what does God say in response? Let's keep reading. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and does not carry out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And so the Amalekites, the Amalekites, they were the people who Saul was supposed to kill, but instead he disobeyed God. And Saul failed to do what God commanded him to do. And so what the Amalekites represent is um, the unfinished business, the business that Saul didn't and he could not finish. And instead, what has happened? Well, 2 Samuel 1, 1, David has defeated them. David has succeeded where Saul failed. And so that's the summary. Saul died. David succeeded where Saul failed. So I think that's a bit of the context that, that's the introduction. That's the first thing that we hear from 2 Samuel. Now, given that context, given that summary, what's the first thing that, what's the next thing that happens? What's the, what's the first thing the narrator wants us to, to think about in this sequel, in this second series, uh, second season? Well, the narrator, what does he do? He introduces a new character, <gasps> someone new on the scene. Let me show you. Verse 2. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honour. Now, as we, read, um, as we read the Bible, and as we read particularly narrative stories like what this is, history, it's good to um, make observations, and it's good to also make observations and remember who is saying what. So, who is speaking when you learn those things? Now, in verse 2 of, uh, of 2 Samuel chapter 1, 
um, the narrator tells us about a new character. And so I want to ask you a question, and it's a very easy question. What does, the narrate, what does the narrator tell us about this new character in verse 2? So have a look. I'll give you 10 seconds, and then I want you to shout out some answers. Okay? Okay, that's enough time. It's, I, hopefully it's a, a relatively easy question. Um, what are some of the things that we can learn about uh, this new character from, from verse 2? He came from Saul's camp. Thank you. Anything else? He was a man. He was a man. Yep. He was, he was distressed. Thank you. Yep. He was filthy. Anything else? He, was, he, he, gave, he came and paid honor to David. Yeah, he was respectful to David. That's great. Thank you. Um, so a lot of the, these descriptions, his disgracefulness um, suggests that perhaps he's mourning and that he's been upset. Uh, he's come a long way and he's come to, to pay honor to David. Now, I want us to note that it is, it is the narrator who tells us this information. Um, it is the narrator who gives us this information. Now, let's keep that in the back of our minds and we'll keep going. Now, if we keep reading, what I, what I want you to notice is it goes from being the narrator speaking, um, who has set the scene, to now um, a dialogue. And so we move from a, a voiceover to an actual scene beginning. And what you see in verses 3 to 10 is an interaction or, or a scene between David and this new character who has come on. Okay, and now I wanna, I'm going to ask you a bit of a bit more difficult question. Um, the next question that's coming up is, um, I want you, and I'll give you a little bit of time to do this, I want you to talk to the person next to you and um, have a look at the next verses, verses 3 to 10. Uh, and, and I want you to think about what is surprising in the dialogue between David and the young man. What is surprising between the, in the dialogue between David and the young man in verses 3 to 10? Does that make sense? You guys can do it. You can talk to each other, talk to the people next to you. I'll give you two minutes to do that. Okay, it's good to hear the conversations. Um, 
I won't necessarily we won't necessarily answer all the all the different things that are surprising. It'll be good to take note of them, and if if we don't answer them in the talk, to discuss them over dinner later tonight. Um, but was there anything that stood out to you, or the person next to you, that was surprising? Does anyone want to shout out and um, embarrass the person next to them, or, or embarrass them? <laughs> It's an Amalekite. Yeah, it's interesting. I thought David struck down all the Amalekites. It's interesting. It's an Amalekite who comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. I, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I think that's a big thing. That's the, that's one of the biggest things. I think that's that's the thing that stood out to me the most as well. Um, what's going on? Uh, the suspense. What happened? Um, I, so I, just to be very clear, um, I want to explain what this is. Um, what has happened is the Amalekite says that he killed Saul himself. He has made a different report or he has presented a different report to what we read just a little bit earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 31. In 1 Samuel 31, Saul killed himself. He fell on his sword. And now, less than a chapter later, we are presented with something totally different, a conflicting report. And now, I want to encourage you guys, I want to remind us who has said the different things. So, previously in 1 Samuel 31, it was the narrator who told us that Saul killed himself. In 2 Samuel 1, it is the Amalekite who says that he killed Saul. And so... um, That's what it says in verse 10. Verse 10, the young man says, I stood beside him, Saul, and killed him. And so that's the confusion. Um, Let me just make it really, really clear. Um, Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Uh, 1 Samuel 31, 4. So this is just verses earlier. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through. All these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. So there appears to be two different accounts of what happened. And um, I want to again point out that the two accounts are coming from two different sources. One is from the narrator and one is from the young man. And so the question that we have, I think, is which one is right? How can they both be there? What is going on? Well, I think if we think about it a little bit, it's actually not too hard to figure out what has happened. You see... Um, the narrator is the one who has written 1 and 2 Samuel. The, the narrator, the narrative voice, is the author of 1 and 2 Samuel by God's, um, by God's Spirit, of course. Um, and so it would make absolutely no sense at all for the narrator to write, Saul killed himself, and then a little bit later, someone else killed Saul, unless both things are true. Now, how can that be? How could it be? Um, I think what the what the um, what the narrator is saying, or, or what what one and two Samuel is saying, is Saul really did kill himself, and this young man really did say, "I killed Saul." And so what that must mean is, this young man is a liar. That's the only way it makes sense. And so, um, if if we look at what the young man says, um, it kind of makes a bit of sense. Uh, someone already mentioned that there, there are some inconsistencies inconsistencies with what he says. Um, 
But we'll also notice that the story he tells has a lot of similarities. Both accounts, both what the young man says and what the narrator says, have Israelites getting defeated. Both accounts have Saul wounded just before he dies, whether it's by his own sword or someone else's. Um, and there is some credibility to what this Amalekite is saying because he does come with um, Saul's crown and he comes with Saul's armband. And despite all these similarities, this young man has changed one small and significant detail. That is, who killed who? And if you think about it, that's the best sort of lie, isn't it? I don't know about you, um, and I don't know what your experience is with lying. I hope it's very limited. Um, but I remember when I used to tell my, my parents um, why I was home late, I would say, oh, I was at the library studying. And it was very true. I was at the library, but I wasn't studying. Yeah. Um, and it, it's similar. We see the same thing that happens in uh, Genesis 3 uh, when... Uh, when Adam and Eve get tempted by the snake, the snake says a lot of very similar things to what God says, but he twists it just a little bit. Um, and that's the best sort of lie, isn't it? If you wanted to lie, and I encourage you, do not lie. If you wanted to lie, the best way to do it is to tell something that's 90% true and only a little bit wrong. And that's what the Amalekite has done here. Now, what are we supposed to do with this? What do we make of this? Why would this young man make this lie up? Why would he do that? If he indeed is lying, why would he do it? Well, I think to help us answer this question, we need to keep reading. Uh, we need to make a few more observations of what, um, what is said here in 2 Samuel. And I'm going to make you work one more time tonight. This is the last time I want to make you work. Um, I want you to particularly look at verses 11 to 16, but you can look at throughout the whole chapter. Uh, and I want you to discuss with the people next to you how would you describe the young man and how would you describe David? I might encourage this side of the room to, to maybe start off by uh, thinking about how you would describe the young man and this side of the room to start off by discussing how would you describe David from this passage? What, what can you know about the characteristics of either of those characters? Um, discuss. I'll give you a couple of minutes to do that. Okay, I might draw you back together. I know that's not enough time. I'm sorry. Um, I think you guys have done a really good job. I've been really encouraged by your answers so far. I think this is by far the hardest question. Um, 
Um, let me tell you a bit what I think. Um, I think this passage tells us about the young man and what this passage tells us about David. To begin with, with the young man. Um, in verse 16, um, David reminded, reminds us that the young man testifies against himself. The Malachite has not just killed anyone, but much more significantly, he has killed the Lord's anointed. Um, he has killed King Saul. And now David himself, um, if we think about the bits of the... It's a bit hard. Uh, in the bits of 1 Samuel that we missed, uh, David himself had a couple of op- uh, a couple of chances to kill Saul himself. Now, if you, if you had read uh, the 14 chapters over the break, because I know a lot of you did, um, what you would have known, what you would have found out was that Saul started to try to kill David. Saul pursued David and tried to kill him many, many times. And yet, um, David did not um, retaliate. David was given two very clear opportunities to kill Saul, um, but he didn't. Once he just cut off um, a little bit of his robe and, and, and showed it to Saul and said, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Um, and another time, something similar happened. But David, even though he had many reasons to kill Saul because Saul was pursuing him and trying to kill him, David never did. Now, we compare David to this young man, this Amalekite. This Amalekite had no reason to kill Saul, but he did. This young man was not threatened by Saul. Saul was injured, and yet he still claims to have killed Saul. And so the picture, I think, that we are getting of this Amalekite, this young young man, is that he is a liar, that he is shady, and that he is actually hoping to gain from Saul's death. He thinks, aha, Saul is dead. David must be happy, and maybe, maybe I can get some money out of this, or maybe I can be rewarded. Maybe if I suck up to David... David will like me. And so in verse 2, Tim pointed out at the very start, we saw the young man honoured David when he first saw him. And in verses verses 6 to 10, where where we see that he lies, where he claims to have killed Saul himself, it seems that the reason why this young man is doing this is that he's hoping that David will be grateful and that David will be happy with the news this young man has brought. And so we return to our question, why would this young man lie about having killed Saul? Well, it seems that he's just a shady character and he's lying to gain from the death of a king. Which is not a very good picture, is it? Now, what about David? What, what do we learn about David? Well, I think that David comes across as a leader who loves justice and righteousness. And, you, and I think we can really know that David stands for righteousness and justice because of what he does. If you see the way that he responds to the young man, what does he do? Um, what does he do? He calls for justice. David could have celebrated Saul's death. Um, he could have been ecstatic, but instead, what does he do? He, he calls for the death penalty because of murder and treason for killing the Lord's anointed. Instead of, instead of celebrating, instead of rejoicing, David loves righteousness and David loves justice and seeks that justice be done in this situation. And more than that, we actually see that David mourns. He doesn't rejoice. He, he cries. Um, even though Saul tried to kill David, um, David weeps 
because Israel has lost its king. If you look in verse 12, there are four different things that David weeps over. He weeps for Saul. He weeps for Jonathan. David weeps for the army who has fallen. David weeps for all of Israel in the sorry state that she is now in. David is mourning because an, an injustice has happened. David is mourning because unrighteousness has happened. And what we see in David is a contrast to this young man. David is one who cares for justice. David is one who cares for righteousness. And so we've looked at this chapter, or the first 16 verses of this chapter, and we see that 1 Samuel is continuing. Saul has died. David has defeated the enemy. And as we continue the story, what happens? Well, we see two different people. We have the young man, the Malachite, who lies, who, who is a shady character, who tries to gain um, because of the death of a king. And then in contrast to him, we see David, a leader who cares for righteousness and a leader who cares for justice. Now, as we read Old Testament narrative, as, as we read this story, we need, to, uh, we, we need to do more than just understand it in its original context, which I think we have done, and you've done a great job of doing that as well. We need to ask ourselves, what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about God's plans in Jesus? I think we do this because it helps us make sure that we don't misapply the passage. I mean, I don't think that we want to go, oh, every time someone lies to me, we need to kill them. That's not the way to apply this passage. And so the way we make sure we apply this passage well is we understand what it tells us about God and his plans in Jesus. The whole Bible tells us about God's plans, and that's what we're going to be asking now. Um, the, first, the first point I want to say is, I think this passage points us towards God's kingdom. Under God's king, there is no place for injustice. In God's kingdom, there is no place for un, uh, unrighteousness. Um, we see that promised in, in the judgment to come. Um, we see, sorry, we see this in the promised judgment to come. In Hebrews 9.27, uh, it says, man is destined to die once and to face judgment. And so in many ways, we are all like the young man, the young Amalekite in this story. In many ways, um, the judgment that is to come is a scary day. When that judgment comes, it will be clear that we seek our personal gain so often that very often we reject God's anointed one, that very often we reject the truth, and as a result, we face death. That is the righteous judgment that we deserve. However, David also is God's chosen and God's anointed king, and he echoes and he points us towards Jesus. Now, Jesus as the true king, Jesus as the righteous king, he fights for justice. And he himself fulfills all righteousness in a way that we get a taste of in 2 Samuel 1. And so Jesus as the righteous and just king, he does not let guilty people go unpunished. But in his love, Jesus bears the punishment that we deserve. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take the sins of many. And so if we trust in Jesus, uh, we will be counted as righteous. 
we can stand in God's kingdom of righteousness. We can stand under God's king justified. Not because we ourselves deserve it, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And so I want to encourage you, if you do not trust Jesus, this is the most important thing that you can consider. And if you want to find out more, please come speak to me. Come speak to Candace. Come speak to anyone who's, who's been up the front tonight. Um, talk to us at dinner. We'd love to tell you more about trusting in Jesus. And for those of us who do trust in Jesus, for those of us who are living in God's kingdom, I want us to think about the life that we live in God's kingdom. I think we need to ask ourselves, do we love justice? Do we love righteousness in the way that King David has? Do we fight against injustice as King David does? Now, perhaps a good test for us is asking ourselves the question, when no one is looking, dot, dot, dot. And so the question is, when no one is looking, do you do the right thing? When no one is looking, do you still watch pirated TV shows? When no one is looking, do you go to websites you shouldn't? When no one is looking, are you still a Christian? Loving righteousness is not just doing right and not just doing the right thing when other people see it. Loving righteousness plays out in our desire to do what is right all the time. And so when you're in your car and no one can see you, when you're in, on the internet and no one knows it's you, when you're away from home and your parents aren't holding you to account, when you're in your room and the door is shut, loving righteousness is desiring what is right all the time, whether or not someone is watching you. And now in this instance, in 2 Samuel 1, we see King David loved righteousness. And for us, our King Jesus, he died for our righteousness. And so I want to encourage you to love righteousness because Jesus died for your righteousness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for 2 Samuel and for the story that we have here um, of David and his love of righteousness. Father, thank you that um, we see this fulfilled in Jesus, um, who, um, who does not let guilty people go unpunished, but who was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, that we can stand in the kingdom of righteousness. Father, help us to love righteousness as our King Jesus does as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>